0: what can happen a lot of times in relationships is that we do this kind of responsibility hot potato thing where we're like, that's not mine. That's yours. Um, I don't want to deal with that. I want you to deal with that. And we don't always really have the awareness of what is ours to own. And the Enneagram really gives us the opportunity to say, hey, this is what's going to come up for you. And then how do you work with that? And I think that that's for me, the key in most relationships is really controlling what we can control and releasing the rest. And the Enneagram really shows us what we can control and what we can work on and what we can release. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Advice
1: Not Given podcast. Each week, we share unfiltered, truth-telling conversations between two friends. You're invited to eavesdrop as we give each other the advice you didn't ask for but wish you did. We're your hosts, Kelly Artis and Claire Wood of Millspo Gurus, and this is Advice Not Given.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode 28 of the Advice Not Given podcast. Today, we are talking all about the Enneagram, and you may be thinking, especially if you are an OG listener, But haven't you already talked about the Enneagram? In fact, haven't you done a whole episode on it? And that would be correct. We have, uh, if you haven't listened to it and you've missed it, we have episode four back in the queue. You want to go listen to that where we do just really an overview of what the Enneagram is and how helpful we see it is. Um, and we also want to just give the disclaimer that, um, we have a course and that we talk extensively about the Enneagram that is available on Milspo Gurus. And in that course, we really start by dividing, um, the Enneagram into its triads or centers of intelligence. And those of you who know your number, you may be familiar with that. We often talk about being in the head triad or the heart triad, or even the body or gut triad or center. And um, those are important designations and a great place to start. Um, But we want to go a little bit deeper and a little bit more nuanced with this episode today as we are talking about relationships Um, we, we hope that if you have still not looked into the Enneagram, or if you don't know your number, you will take the time to do that. We have tons of resources and places to link out to on our, our, uh, Gurus website. Uh, but today's episode is going to be for those of us who know our number and very much so, uh, those who may know their spouse's numbers. So Kelly, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the other arrangements within the Enneagram, um, and other really other triads beyond the centers of intelligence.
1: Yeah, I think the the one of the coolest things about the is not only like the opportunity for self awareness and to make yourself a better person, but you can find yourself in situations and then start to better understand why and what is actually happening <laughs> in the situation. Especially if you understand where your partner or you know pe- kid <laughs> or whoever is coming from. So Claire already touched on a couple of the the ways to divvy up those nine numbers. There's all there are so many groupings, so many groupings and ways to kind of come at the Enneagram. And it all has to do with motivation, fears, core desires, things like that. So sometimes those are hard to like recognize on the surface, but once you kind of come at things from a different way, like, okay, well, how do you act when you need something, right? right? Or How do you act when you're in conflict? So those are the two sort of groupings that I want to bring up today. Um, so the first one, it's called they're called Hornavian groups. Um, it actually comes from a researcher named Karen Hornay, I think is her name. Um, yeah, so she had a model that she used. And like most of the things that we talk about with the Enneagram, it didn't start out just because of the Enneagram, but it was right. an overlay that happens to work really well with this structure and the Enneagram of personality. So they gave her a name. They named it after her. Um, It's great. So what this defines and groups people or types into are the ways in which you get your needs met. So we all have these core needs, core desires, but we all have different ways of going about um, getting those
2: Things met, so there's well, and let me let me insert here too. It's not just how you're getting your needs met, but in your interactions with other people, particularly.
1: Oh, yeah, especially, yeah. So just imagine yourself in a situation where um you feel like you're not getting enough attention, if that's a core need of yours, or maybe you don't feel safe, if that's a core need of yours, right? Like so we can and we can go around the whole circle with all of those things, but instead of doing all nine, we're gonna do just groups of three to give us a starting point. Um, we can go deeper later on. So. The first type or way that uh, a lot of folks get their needs met are is called the compliant group. So sometimes these people are called dutiful. <laughs> they mm-hmm. are um, the types that are constrained within this grouping are types one, the reformer, type two, the helper, and type six, Claire, the loyalist. The loyalist. The <laughs> loyalist. Um, so these folks um, actually move towards people to get their needs met, um, so that's important. We'll we'll circle back and dig a little deeper once we go through all of them. So that's the compliant group, one, two, and six. All right, the next group is called the assertive group, and these are your three: the performer, yeah, performer or achiever, I guess. Type seven, the enthusiast, and type eight, the challenger or asserter. So let me get let you guess. This one's called the assertive group. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So these are folks that move against people in order to get their needs met. Um, and then the third grouping is called the withdrawn group. Um, and these are your fours, your, the romantic um, or individualist, the five, which is the observer, and then the nine, which is the peacemaker. And these folks move away from Do groups you, of people. Hang on. Do you know anybody that
2: does that, kind of moves away <laughs> from people?
1: Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it, that, it, it, it me, it me. <laughs> so I'm a five. And what that looks like for me is my core need is for security. And I just get away from people. I just withdraw. Now, we're not saying these are good tactics or, or anything. But these are definitely things that you can pick up on about yourself to be able to start to recognize maybe which group. You, you are
2: identifying with more and which one resonates. Yeah. Um, what does that
1: look like for you, Claire? Well, as a I was
2: just going to say client. really quickly, because I know that some of this may be a lot to take in if you're just listening to it. We're going to have some resources linked, but I, I just want to give a quick review of what Kelly just said. So in these Hornavian groups, your compliant, dutiful numbers are ones, twos, and sixes. Your assertive numbers that move against people are the 3, 7, and 8, and the withdrawn numbers that move away from people are the 4, 5, and 9. So just kind of a quick overview if you missed it as she was going through it. Um, mm-hmm. I can answer your question, what that looks like for me. Um, I can tell you that Ryan and I are both in the compliant group. And when we are faced with something uh, difficult or something that doesn't seem to be going our way, we gripe about it. Maybe we argue for a minute and kind of fuss. But then at the end of the day, we do quickly come together in compliance and say like, well, okay, I guess this is what it is. We might as well get on with it. Um, So I think that's interesting looking at our relationship through that lens.
1: Yeah. And, and to all- break that down just a little bit further. So your type one, which is Ryan, is a co- has a core need for autonomy right. and then moving towards people by following the rules in hopes of earning the autonomy. And then your type six um, is moving towards people by being loyal to others in hopes of earning your core need of security. So right. those are just a little like deeper dives into what that actually looks like for the two of them.
2: Yeah. And what's interesting is we had an example of this recently with something that had to do with our orders <laughs> and we thought they were getting changed for like a, about five days. And at the end of it all, I kept saying to Ryan, like, well, please make sure that you have cleared the air with the personnel person, because I don't want you going forward. A, I didn't want it to tarnish tarnish his relationship, but I ultimately wanted to make sure that we were, quote, moving toward people. We wanted, I wanted to save that relationship, even though it's somebody who doesn't know us personally, that was still of high value for both of us. Right. Yeah.
1: So, What that looks like for me in my relationship, so I'm a type 5, which is in the withdrawing um, group. And then my husband is a type eight, which is in the assertive group. <laughs> now we typically get a lot done in this way because it's very like,
2: we okay, bring handle this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: like I can retreat into my mind and try to like think it through. Right. Or I just, I don't necessarily trust people in that kind of way. So I just withdraw away from them. Cause the only thing I feel like I feel safe in is in my mind. Whereas he is like, no, let's just go handle this. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a movement. Like that's where he feels safest and most confident is moving towards mm-hmm. – well, against, I guess, technically in this in this case. But I am doing the total opposite thing. Um, so again, it complements a lot until we're at odds with how to handle a situation, which then becomes complicated. But, but is this a good
2: example of a time where you would put into practice the advice of our friend and wise guru, Chris Huertz? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, it totally is. And this is something that's brand new to me and it'll make uh, maybe a little more sense in our next segment, but um sometimes you need there's a there're two of you, right, in a relationship, you each have a a hornavian style or a way that you get your need met you typically have a dominant style maybe you have a secondary sort of style that you could maybe tap into be that through like another connection to another number or whatnot but you do always have a third style that's not present in your relationship right Mm -hmm. that you both probably desperately need to pull in to help you mediate
2: (laughs) so in this example with andrew as a eight assertive and you as a five withdrawn you guys might try to look for um congruency by adding in some characteristics right. of those compliant numbers
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Because we can both kind of meet there. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not so big. That's a big leap to go from withdrawn to assertive, right? There's no middle. <laughs> so uh, I think it is helpful to recognize. I think more than anything, like recognizing, and I give this story a lot about the hurricane. We had a hurricane mm-hmm. come at us one year. Um, and this was never more clear to me than during this time of stress. But like I, being in the withdrawn stance or, you know, grouping, my way of dealing with this was just get away to leave, mm-hmm. to literally remove myself from the situation. But my husband, who's in the assertive stance, was like, no, we're hitting this face on. Like, we're going to yeah. handle this. We're going to do this. We're not leaving. I got, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to protect my home and na-na-na. And like, it stressed him out to think that I wanted to leave because he couldn't protect me and the kids if we weren't with him. And, you know, whereas I was coming at it from a totally different perspective and like losing my mind. So being able to step back and say, oh, okay, I get it. We're both kind of defaulting. To this way of being mm-hmm. and like having understanding that the other person is not going to come at this situation the same way I do, like then gave us room to talk about it mm-hmm. and kind of like a neutral language to talk about it too. Cause it wasn't like very, you oh, know, you just, you're being bullheaded or not just right. say those words, but you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when it doesn't just have to be kind of like, you know, like aggressive in that way, but it can be very, Oh, I respect the fact that you're feeling a desire to leave. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we move through this? Maybe it's releasing a little bit of the control and saying, okay, I'm going to trust that our home is steady and that, you know, we will be okay. And that this, you know, whatever. So yeah, I think it's great to recognize and appreciate. Yeah.
2: Well, so that's the the Hornavian groups where we're really looking at how people are interacting with others in order to meet their own needs. But we want to take a look again, even at a, a third and different type of grouping of these triads. And that's the harmonic groups. And those are really the way each type learns to deal or cope with conflict and difficulty um, where the, the previous one is how we're interacting with others to have our needs met. This is like, Oh shoot, here's something hard. Here's, here's something difficult. How am I grouping? So um, I'll give a quick run through of the the groups and the, the headings and which numbers go in there. And then Kelly, you can kind of expound upon that. The first one is going to be the positive outlook group. Um, And so when they are faced with disappointment or conflict, they um, try to look for ways to be positive. And that's going to be your seven, which is your enthusiast, your nine, your peacemaker and your two, your helper. So those are all people when met with conflict. They are looking for a positive reaction. Um, we, each of those has specific things to their own type, but just in general, they fall into that group. The next group is the competency group. And these are people who put all their emphasis on being competent and managing their feelings and relating to roles and systems, but all in a competency minded way. And that's going to be, again, your one your reformer, your three, your achiever, and your five, your observer. So those are the competency people. And I'm sure Kelly will have something to, mm-hmm. to say to that in just a minute. And then the final grouping in the harmonic groups are your reactive people, your reactive types. And that is going to be your four, the individualist, your six, me, the loyalist, and number eight, the challenger. And so they are going to have very strong reactions or need reactions from others when they are faced with conflict or disappointment.
1: Yeah. So I was listening uh, to Chris Hewarts the other day on a podcast, and this just struck me in a way that never really landed before. And i Just am desperate to share with you guys. So, conflict is ever present. I mean, it's the world we live in. We're human beings. We're always going to have conflict with people. And a huge, we even talked about it the other day, Claire, on the marriage episode. Like, that's especially for me, I mean, for everyone, but you got to know how to resolve your conflicts. You got to know how to move through conflict. You're going to conflict with other people. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. is what it is. So this is a huge thing to know and understand. So here we're talking about, you know, knowing your number, knowing your type, knowing how you deal with conflict, but then also how your partner deals with conflict. The cool thing that I was hearing from what Chris was talking about was they've Decided in their relationship, so he gave this example of he's an eight, he's the challenger, which puts him in the reactive um, grouping, and then his spouse is a two, and she's in the positive outlook grouping. So he uses this random scenario of being in a car and driving um, down the street, and somebody cut him off or something. Um, so being married to an eight, I know this very well. They're very, they're not. I wouldn't say road ragey. I mean, it can definitely be road ragey. <laughs> I, I complain about Andrew being road ragey. Um, And it's funny because it's not – it's just surface. It's just like reaction. It's like, why would you cut me off, right? Um, And then he can be be done with that. And he's released that anger and it's gone and it's dissipated and he can move on with his day. Um, Whereas I – it takes me a lot to get that worked up to where I'm right. actually yelling, and if I do, it like ruins my month, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, for him, so Chris, he's using this example. The guy cut him off. He yells at him. I'm sure it was so sweet, even though he yelled, but <laughs> mm-hmm. he yells, and his his wife is sitting next to him, and she's like, "Oh, I'm sure he didn't mean to, honey. I, maybe he was just distracted." positive outlook. Okay, that was her way of dealing with conflict and trying to deescalate what she was perceiving to be a situation that needed um, some resolution. Well, then they get into like conflict about it, because he's like, No, but he this and she's like, Well, what about you know, they're, they're still kind of like anchored down into their points, right into their way that they think this conflict needs to be resolved. The thing that blew my mind is he was like, what we needed in that moment was this third group this third grouping, the competency grouping, and to be able to find a point where we both recognize, okay, I'm doing my reactive thing. She's doing her positive outlook thing. We got to find some way to meet in the middle. So let's get to the competency approach and see what happens. So then they're both like, okay, maybe I was going too fast. And she's like, maybe I shouldn't have the dog in the front seat and be more concerned about the dog safety than, you know, you're driving or whatever. So they were able to kind of like deescalate and find a point to meet By bringing in that third or underdeveloped grouping that they don't really have access to otherwise, I thought that was huge. So now I'm going back through, and so like I'm in the competency group, my husband is in the reactive group. So we are always lacking that positive outlook. We don't. We're like we're fighting like the world sucks. That's us.
2: Ryan Ryan's in the competency, and I'm in the reactive. So we're missing the positive outlook.
1: Oh my gosh, and like if you guys are listening, you're maybe you and your partner are in the same grouping, then you've got some extra work probably to do to figure out or maybe you have more options available to you. Maybe that's about. Well, let me
2: throw know. a different scenario out at you. So I'm looking at the numbers and the number that I think my dad and my mom are are both positive outlooks. I think my dad's oh. a 7 and I think my mom is a 9 or she she identifies as a 9. So if I was raised by two parents with positive outlooks, Ooh, you can't that. way. Well, I wonder how that works with them if they both have positive outlooks with nothing in the reactive or competency group. And then, even as a kid, like so many things I'm thinking right now. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of makes you wonder if they had less conflict
1: because they were approaching things from the same or similar sort of like space.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I can huh. tell you that. Yeah. I don't, I, I can count on a handful of, you know, fingers the times my mom and dad had really big knockdown drag outs.
1: Ooh, I love this. That's interesting. And and,
2: and maybe this doesn't have anything to do with Enneagrams, but for example, when we all go on vacation together, my mom and dad, neither of them want to decide like, well, whatever sounds good to you guys, we can go eat there. Oh, yeah. It doesn't that's matter. Awesome. That, whatever It is awesome. <laughs> Does um, that drive you crazy? <laughs> it doesn't drive me crazy, but it's my, my peopleness and my pleasingness. That's like, but I don't want to pick mm-hmm. something that, you know, nobody else wants or mm-hmm. that's interesting.
1: Hmm. That's funny. So mine, uh, my family's notorious for that too. We'll go on vacation and not really have solid plans. And that drives mm-hmm. Andrew crazy. But he's mm-hmm. also the only one that's in that assertive sort of take charge stance. Like the rest of us are either compliant or competency. Um, so he's like, well, what are we doing? Like, what's mm-hmm. the plan for the day? And he <laughs> drives him crazy that none mm-hmm. of us are kind of moving in that way. So that's, that's funny just- because
2: my brother-in-law, who's a three, I think he tri- he tries to, help come up with a plan. I'm trying to think where we were this last time. Maybe it was back at Christmas and he was like, "Listen, I'm I'm not even saying anything. Y'all just y'all hash it out like this is Uh, my family I'm not I'm not going there there. well bless his
1: heart (laughs) so I don't know I think again recognizing all of these differences and the different ways of being and not only like we we were tackling this pretty broadly with the groups um and you know each each individual number has its own sort of nuances within the group so never like just take it as like a there's only three ways to be right um so knowing who you are, how you deal with things, where you kind of spiral into in stress, um, where you're at at, pr- at the present moment, what is the best version of you look like, the worst version of you, and mm-hmm. then having these like clear and um, often happening, yes. <laughs> often occurring conversations with your spouse or your partner or wh- whomever you're in relationship with can be super helpful because it almost takes you can detach from it in a way and the, talking about this in terms of like numerals literally is the most non-judgmental thing you could right. probably do. So giving it sort of this language and like, okay, well, this is where you're at. This is the grouping you're in. This is your stance. This is your, you know, whatever. It gives you a better way to talk about it and kind of handle
2: mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Well, I, that's a, the thing I think I love about the Enneagram is there are so many ways that you can come at your number. You've got your you know, your center of intelligence, you've got your core desire, your fear, your motivation. We now have this language for the Hornavian groups. We've got the harmonic groups. We've got our instinctual variants. We've got Mm
0: -hmm. our wings,
2: our arrows. And, um, I know it can feel intimidating to some people. Like if this is, if we're saying words that you're like, huh, what? (laughs) But I think that's the, the thing is there's just always more to uncover and more to unpack. And the, it's almost like this, um, triangle like we see i know in my field it's the blooms taxonomy or you've got the um, hierarchy of needs and it's like the high the more you know um about all these different nuances of the enneagram the higher up that pyramid you're moving in terms of your self-awareness in terms of thriving in your relationships and in your own understanding of who you are and how you tick so Mm. another another vote for the enneagram if you ask me Oh my gosh, for sure. Yeah,
1: you guys, we and like Claire said, we've got all of these resources available online. We're doing this kind of quick and dirty just because we want to jump in and bring in some experts for you all to hear from as well. If we've lost you along the way, go back and check out all of uh, the previous episodes. And if you've feeling discouraged about your number. Like I'm, I'm leading a book club right now. And there's like, I was telling Claire, there's several of the ladies who are still like, Oh my God, I have no idea. I love bringing in the extra data points. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, forget everything else. Forget all the nine numbers. Do you relate to this, this, or this? Mm-hmm. Okay. What about this, this, or this? Okay, cool. What about this, this, or this? And then we just start graphing, literally like charting. What are, what's resonating? What can we cross out? Like what does not fit because again, you're gonna look at these and you're gonna think one of them strongly does not resonate because it is not only underdeveloped, but sometimes even like completely neglected. Right. right. So if you do not feel like you approach things with competency, it's like the first and foremost, you could probably scratch off three whole numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and that's and so you'll you'll be able to process elimination down to like at least four probably numbers. Mm-hmm. Um and that's a huge start on your way of trying to figure out which one you want to land on.
2: So yeah. And again, we'll have all of this in the notes, but I just want to make another plug. I had a friend and neighbor, hey, Jessica, she messaged me last week and was like, hey, I am into this, wanting to get into the Enneagram. Where's a good quiz? Like, what's the best quiz to take? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I almost need to have like a pre-recorded response that I can (laughs) send to people. And we've talked about this before, but quizzes are okay. They're not like the worst thing ever, but we really believe that it's through, listening and reading and understanding um, all the types that you start to whittle down and get closer to what your actual type is. So I just want to say again, if you must take a quiz, we do like the one on the Enneagram Institute, but I also want to use this as an opportunity to point to some some products and some some tools and resources that we have created. So if you go to our site, Gurus. There you can find our link to our self-paced course called Becoming Your Own Guru. It's a wonderful walkthrough, the types, the struggles, the numbers. Um, We also, if you don't want to go through a course, we have a download that has all of the PDFs from that. It's a workbook, all the PDFs from the course. If you just want some really pretty graphics and something to read over, Kelly, I believe we still have our free Enneagram snapshots that you can download and it's almost set up like a little, I don't know, seven or eight, nine page um, yearbook. It's beautiful that we put together a year or so ago. And that's a great place to, to look. We have a reading list that we can link in these notes mm-hmm. of all the books we love, depending on kind of like your level of uh, interest or like kind of how deep you want to dive in to it. And um, am I forgetting anything else besides our episode four? Episode we four,
1: for sure. And we did a few talks, too, on our Facebook page. We were yes. doing some live interviews at one point um, on Facebook Live. So check out
2: our Facebook page uh, for those videos, too. So stay tuned on this episode where we have an interview with an, ex- an expert, uh, our actual advice segment. We have a very special guest. We are not wanting to share his or her name just yet, That you can uh, be looking forward to this humongous, huge uh, reveal in a few weeks as we have an additional episode on the Enneagram and mindfulness. And Kelly, can you explain to our listeners what they have to look forward to this summer and also the ask you want to make of our listeners?
1: Yeah. um, Okay. So you guys, there are nine weeks in the summer. Guess what that's going to mean for us. (laughs) We're going to do a deep dive into each and every one of the nine types. So if you've been feeling like, oh, I'm not quite there yet, um, this is going to be something that you're going to want to catch. We'll release an episode every week for each of the nine types. And we're going to focus on the virtues of each type. So we want to make sure that you're able to like See the see the flag on the top of the hill. Like, what is it that you're actually trying to reach for and achieve in all of the self work? Um, and then our ask is: we want to know if you know your type. We want you to tell us about it. So we're going to be listing um, ways in which we can do that. It'll either be like an interview series of each type. We want to focus in on actual voices and actual experiences. So if you are um, fairly self-aware <laughs> and can speak about your type um, in context of the Enneagram and in context of, you know, yeah, just maybe your struggles, your stresses, your achievements, your triumphs, things that you love about your type, things that you wish people knew about your type, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to want to hear from you. So we will have more information soon on how to do that. But Go ahead and be thinking about it and uh, put it in your mental list of things to do and help us out with. So. Hey guys, just a quick break to talk about an initiative that Claire and I have launched for this year. We are calling it 20 for 20 because we're looking for 20 of our amazing fans and followers to step up and support us as patrons with a monthly recurring donation for as little as a dollar an episode, you can join our community of patrons over on patreon.com and give us a tangible ad a girl to keep our efforts going. It will actually help uh, cover some of the overhead that we are not currently seeking sponsorships for. So we're keeping the show ad free for now and asking you all, as our, our fans, followers, and friends to, uh, to help support us. So for as little as $4 a month, you can become a patron to help us with expenses and also unlock tons of really juicy conversations that we reserve, uh, for our folks that are inside the gate. (laughs) So be sure to check that out at patreon.com slash milspo gurus. When you have a chance, let us know if you want to take up the call, help us out um, and help us expand and level up this podcast. Your donation would go towards things like technology upgrades, uh, hardware upgrades, and also help us uh, commit the time and energy towards creating a really highly polished and produced show. So if that's something that sounds interesting, please check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, And we look forward to seeing you as one of our 20 for 20 patrons. So now without further ado, let's get back to the show and to our actual
2: advice. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this segment of actual advice. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Sarah Jane Case. You may know her. From Enneagram and Coffee, a wildly popular Instagram account uh, that showcases all facets of the Enneagram in a very creative way. Um, She also has a book coming out in a few months that we will be uh, talking a little bit more about as our interview goes on. Uh, But Sarah Jane, we are just so excited to have you on the podcast and so excited to talk all things Enneagram. So thank you for being here.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yes, yes, yes. So
2: in the conversation that Kelly and I have previously recorded that our listeners are hearing just before my interview with you, we were talking a little bit um, about a more focused way of kind of looking at your type. And then um, beyond like the centers of intelligence, we were talking about like Hornavian and harmonic groups and how kind of knowing that organization of your number um, can help you interact with other people um, in order to have your needs met and it can help you cope with conflict and difficulty. So that's kind of where we were and I want to head into kind of talking with you about how you think and how you have seen the Enneagram positively impact relationships.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that what can happen a lot of times in relationships is that we do this kind of responsibility hot potato thing where we're like, that's not mine. That's yours. Um, I don't want to deal with that. I want you to deal with that. And we don't always really have the awareness of what is ours to own. And the Enneagram really gives us the opportunity to say, hey, this is what's going to come up for you. And then how do you work with that? And I think that that's for me, the key in most relationships is really re- controlling what we can control and releasing the rest. And right. the Enneagram really shows us what we can control and what we can work on and what we can release.
2: I love it. I love it. Well, some something that Kelly and I continue to repeat in all of our episodes and in all of our own work with the Enneagram is that we believe it is such a key to unlocking self awareness. But I love what you have in your bio. You use the term self-compassion. So can you speak to that just a little
0: bit? Yeah. I mean, I think so in, you know, what we kind of just touched on was self-responsibility. And I think that this like healthy relationship to growth needs both things, right? We need self-responsibility where we take ownership of what we bring to the table, but we also like cannot do that in a healthy way if we don't have a deep well of self-compassion available to us. If we don't operate first from a place of I'm doing the best I can with what I've been given and it's okay to not be perfect at this and I'm going to mess up and that's normal and fine and I'm still worthy of so much good and so much love.
2: Right. I love that. Well, and I'm going to dig a little deeper about the me- what we call the memification of the Enneagram in just a second. But my my question is, is it, I, it seems to me when people who are only kind of getting into the Enneagram based on fun, reshareable imagery <laughs> from the internet, that sometimes that can be, I won't say a hindrance, but it can be a, a stopping point where we're just identifying with kind of the funny or the negative aspects. And so what would you say to the person who might be stuck there, but needs to kind of press forward into either learning more about the Enneagram or just press forward into higher levels of health with their number?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that we get stuck in the memification side of things because we don't know what else is available, right? We don't know that there's more to it. I And I think that or we you know maybe we just aren't quite ready to go there yet. Right. And and so I, I have two two responses. If you're if you're not aware of what's available to you, I think the work here is to recognize that first and foremost, your Enneagram type is the story that you tell yourself. It's the story you tell yourself about who you have to be in order to be okay, loved, successful, worthy, all of the things that you think we need. You've developed these patterns of behavior that you think will earn that. And so this, the first step is to recognize that like actually you're worthy of all good things well before your personality type developed, right. well outside of your personality type. And so the work really is in releasing these patterns that you've developed and allowing yourself to just accept the fact that things are going to be okay without having mm-hmm. to earn that.
2: Right. Right. Which, I mean, that's like the, one of the chief problems of life, right? To be in that place where you not only believe it, but then live it.
0: Yeah. And I think if you're, you know, in the the boat of like, I'm looking at this, I don't really want to dive into it. I like staying on the shallow end of things right now. Mm -hmm. I have two responses to that. The first one is, that's fine. Like, it's totally okay for you to take your time with the journey because your journey is not my responsibility. Like, it is not my job. To dictate your journey. And so if you're not ready, then that's your choice. If you are choosing not to go on this journey because out of fear, out of self-limitation, out of wanting to stay small, then mm-hmm. I can challenge you and encourage you that you are going to be safe, that there's goodness on the other end of this, and that you can participate in the process. And find yourself some people who who feel safe to surround yourself with, to go on this journey with. You don't have to do it alone.
2: Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, Kelly and I had had just a, a, I guess, an epiphany several months ago in our own, you know, content creating for our own Instagram account. And to us, it felt like almost impossible to try to just synthesize and and take just these tiny little retweetable or shareable tidbits from the types and continuously create content for that. And and yes, it's like a, a demanding thing to do, but also we almost felt like we were cheating on the Enneagram, like we were just not giving it its due to break it down into such small pieces. And I know like your extremely popular Instagram account, that is the kind of content you are, you know, creating constantly. So can you talk to us about like, does that feel tiresome to you sometimes? I know you bring in some illustrators and graphic people to help, you know, here and there with different series, but what does that look like for you? And do you ever feel that tension of the, the feeling like you're kind of parsing it down to just something so small when it's super complex?
0: Well, I mean, I think that the owning the role that I'm playing in in the Instagram Side of things, like in the enneagram right. community, is really just saying like, okay, I'm a gateway to deeper work. So if you can get introduced to this, or if you can use this as a tool for you to share yourself with other people, right. I don't actually see the harm in that. No, um, we don't either. That's yeah. awesome. And so I think that there's, I think that there's a dogma around the enneagram that I'm particularly uh, uncomfortable with, and not necessarily. I don't agree like that there's a right way to Enneagram. Right. But I also think that you, you know, everyone's in charge of their own journey. So if someone wants to stay in the shallow end for a a little bit longer, it's their choice and that's their journey. If someone wants to dive full, like go deep and, and learn about stances and learn about subtypes and learn about, you know, how your lines work, then that's amazing. And I, I think those tools will deeply enrich your life. And, um, and that those things sometimes take a little bit more time, a little bit more energy and take a lot more engagement in terms of like, how do you process your own trauma and your experiences? And it can be a little bit trickier. Um, but but for me, I do find it really limiting to create content in these tiny boxes. Right. And I think that, um, when I started, I was like this is fun like I'm going to do this and then over time as as people started paying attention to it I realized like okay well I have I have like significantly shifted the way that I create content for the most part mm-hmm. in order to allow for more like because what I found was that people would get to my post and they would say well if I don't relate to this one sentence that she wrote about six on this one topic then I must not be a six. Right. And, you know, you can't have that individual conversation with every person, but it's like, no, you're the authority on being a six. Like if you're a six, you're the authority on that. So you tell me what a six does. I don't tell you what a six does. Right. And, um, and so really doing the work of trying to create other content, IGTV videos, doing speaking engagements, writing the book, um, having the podcast where I can add like much more context and depth for the people who want to go deeper for sure. Right.
2: That's a great answer. And I have to admit, so I am a six with a five wing and Kelly is a five. So maybe that's why we were a little protective or judgy. Of, <laughs> of, of feel, I mean, I think or we were coming at it. Type nothing, yeah. But we were just thinking like, well, gosh, you can't determine your type based on how you might order at a Mexican restaurant or right. what you might do at the beach. or right. <laughs> so I think that's where we came from it. But I love your idea that It is a very individual journey and there is no right or wrong or no one way to go on that journey. Um, And yeah, like you said, you are a gateway for so many. And I do think it is such an easy way to reshare things and say, hey, to my own followers, if you want to know what it's like to be me, this is it. Like, here's Mm -hmm. this cute little beautifully illustrated, succinctly written Tile that gives you some insight, and so there is like a safety there, I think, and it's like a approachable way to put ourselves out there. That's very good. Well, you mentioned your book, and I do want to share um, Sarah Jane's book, The Honest Enneagram, is available on April fourteenth, but it's available now for pre order. Can you tell us a little bit about or anything you want to tell us about your book?
0: Yeah, so I I wrote the book from a place of self compassion, really, like wanting the enneagram to be um, written described in such a way where there's no shaming. There's, it's all from the perspective of like, you're doing the best that you can. And I, um, that you didn't choose to do these things that you just kind of are compulsively doing these things and they're not serving you. So how can we bring awareness to it? How can we work with it from, without there being shame or guilt or, um, you know, harm done to you in the process? I think a lot of times people find the Enneagram and they kind of go into like a deep well of like self-doubt, self-hatred, and I really wanted it to be a safe space to land. On the other side of that, um, I wanted it to be actionable. You know, I know that this the Enneagram can be kind of – it's kind of this idea that we have to really – hold the story. It can be a little bit esoteric, you know, and I wanted people to leave with with some tools in their toolkit. So how, yes. Okay. I learned this about myself. What are some like tangible things I can do um, or try or put into my, put into my back pocket to hold on to for a later date. So um, it's, it's coming from that holding both of those things. So I walk people through the honest method, which is what I do. If I'm doing a speaking engagement, I kind of walk people through each step of the honest method. And and I, I do the same thing in the book.
2: That's awesome. And I, I know i not asking you to give away all the goods from the book, but just what's a summary of the honest method?
0: Yeah. So it's all about you first honor your strengths and then you open your eyes to your blind spots and you note your motivators. You explore your relationships. You... Soften your path out of growth. So basically, like you create a path to growth that is full of curiosity and compassion. And then you turn that into something beautiful. So how do we make make space and time for us to be creative based off of our type?
2: Oh my goodness. I love it. I love the acronym. Um, that's so great. And I just love you can hear it in your voice. Like you're there's just such a kindness in the way that you speak and the way that you are sharing this message. So I personally can't wait to get a copy of that. I fell in love with one of your series back in the fall. I think it was the brave enough series. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of our listeners, especially in our military culture, we find ourselves limited. We are constantly relocating. We are constantly having like identity struggles because every time you move, you're kind of reinventing yourself. And so what would you say to the, maybe the military spouse listener who is feeling like, okay, maybe I know my number or, I just, I'm not sure really like where this is going or like how I can really like make this a useful tool for me and my own self compassion and my own self awareness. What would be like one little takeaway you would give?
0: Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I think if you do nothing else with the Enneagram, if you really focus on the lines, it is my favorite part of the Enneagram. I don't. It I just think maybe it's the actionable side of it for me, mm-hmm. but this it's living and breathing, and you can you can pay attention to yourself. And I really think that that's the greatest gift that the enneagram gives us is the ability to pay attention to ourselves and really listen and learn from how we show up. So the lines did you guys talk about the lines? Earlier? We have in previous
2: episodes. Okay, somewhat, yeah.
0: But go ahead. Yeah. So I mean, for my from the way that I approach the lines is I think about how can I intentionally pull in the high levels of health of either of those numbers, my stress number and my rest number? And then how can I hold awareness for when I fall into the lower levels and really meet that with self-care instead of self-judgment? So, as a seven, if I move into the lower side of one and I all of a sudden go into black and white thinking, judgmental, I get mm-hmm. judgmental, I get critical of other people. I can hear it now. Um, I can hear it in my language. I can hear it in my tone. And I can let myself say like, oh, hey, um, what do you need? Like, what's going on? Have you had alone time lately? Have you, you know, have you been taking care of yourself? Mm. And really listening, paying attention and making compassionate adjustments?"
2: That's right. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking a few things. Number one, I'm like, man, I wish Sarah Jane could counsel counsel me through some (laughs) some of my own struggles as a six. Uh, But I'm also just thinking that that is perfect advice. That is so, so important to um, to have those honest conversations with yourself and look to where you can bring yourself back into alignment. I was just telling my husband yesterday, he's a one and I'm a six. And I was reading off some little like, hey, here's what's what's going on with you when you're not in a place of health. And we are in a cycle where we're about to move. There's been some stress there. And we both admitted like, yeah, we are not like we have gone to our place of stress definitely in the last couple of weeks. But it's it's knowing that. But then the, the comma of What do you do to, to recorrect and redirect? So I love that. Love, love, love that advice. Well, Sarah Jane, can you tell us just a little bit about your Enneagram summit that's happening in March and where um, listeners can not only discover a little bit more about that, but also where they can find you online?
0: Absolutely. So the Enneagram Summit is I'm doing interviews with over 30 teachers and experts. So some of them are Enneagram experts. We're talking like with Suzanne Stabile about stances. We're talking with Dr. Jerome Um, about brain-based Enneagram. So many amazing teachers that I really love and admire. We're doing interviews with them, and then I'm doing interviews with people of different numbers, so two people of different Enneagram, every Enneagram type, so you can hear how they speak, the work that they've done with the Enneagram, how much they've learned and grown, and that all... (laughs) happens live for the week, or you can get the all access pass, which gives you live Q&As with me every day of the week, and then lifetime access, um, as well as a pop-up Facebook group for the month where you can meet other people who are going on the Enneagram journey as well.
2: Okay. That's awesome. And then where where can they find you online?
0: So you can find me on Instagram at Enneagram and Coffee. Um, I have a podcast, Enneagram and Coffee, and then our website is enneagramandcoffee.com.
2: Awesome. 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 All right. Well, that concludes our interview, Sarah Jane. Thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to share this with all of our audience.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on Advice Not Given. For resources and links to all the things mentioned in today's episode, head over to our website at milspogurus.com. That's m-i-l-s-p-o-g-u-r-u-s. If you enjoyed this episode, please help others find us by adding your thoughts to an iTunes review and subscribing so you never miss a show. If you're interested in being a next level supporter of our endeavors, check out our Patreon page. You can pledge as little as a dollar per episode to help us out with expenses. Think of it as eavesdropping on our coffee date, but then sending over a latte. It's a thing. Also, be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook at Gurus, where we keep the conversation going and where you can share your advice not given.